Good morning. Good morning. I'm Pastor Mark. It's great to see you this Reformation Sunday. It actually was on October 31st, All Hallows' Eve. Uh, Martin Luther, a priest, uh, had uh, pretty much uh, pretty frustrated with the church in his day. Uh, they were putting a lot of burdens on the backs of Christians, uh, teaching them they had to do a certain amount of things, they had to give a certain amount of money uh, to get forgiveness, to get to heaven, to get their friends and family into heaven. It was, uh, it was really out of control. And a little different perspective, but I, I think, or a different analogy, but I really think the early church worked so hard to spread the gospel. I mean, you think about starting in one little city in Jerusalem, the Middle East, and it spread to the whole world. They worked so hard that for uh, a few centuries, probably, uh, before Martin Luther, 1500, basically, uh, the churches started coasting. You know, they'd, they'd worked up all that energy and momentum, and they were growing. They just started coasting and drifting, drifting away from the fundamentals, from the gospel message of God's love for all people. And so that was kind of the big uh, pushback that Martin Luther wanted to, to achieve in the church, start that conversation at least. And uh, of course, here we are, here we are today, 500 years later. And we're starting a new series today. It's called Harvest, appropriate for the fall. Uh, and today, what I want to focus on is, I think, the most important, the most key element of being able to have a harvest, to be able to bring in a harvest, labor, workers. Now, I don't know how many of you are aware, but we have a labor shortage in our country. Has anybody noticed that? I see help wanted signs everywhere. I saw in and out was, I think it was 17 or 18, maybe it was $19 an hour. What? And they still need help. They can't get them. I'm going to give away my age. Some of you would be... When I started working, minimum wage was $3.35 an hour. Yeah, some are, some are less, some are more. But there's a huge labor shortage. And this is what actually Jesus says in the gospel when he's talking about the kingdom work that needs to be done. The, the harvest is rich and the laborers are few. There's lots of work to do. There's not enough people to get it all done. Now, I went to the grocery store, like I do most Sundays, Sunday afternoon, uh, last week, and it's just a normal Sunday. I mean, it's crowded, but, it, you know, it wasn't like uh, Black Friday sales at Walmart or anything. It was just a, you know, a Sunday, uh, you know, grocery shopping day. But this grocery store, out of like, I don't know, 12, 14 checkout lanes, they only had two lanes open. Two! Are you kidding me? On Sunday afternoon? I'm not going to belittle them or besmirch their name here on a worldwide broadcast. I'll just say the name rhymes with skies. <laughs> it rhymes with, oh, well, anyway, it starts with F. But anyway, um, there I was standing in line, and you've been here before, right? You're standing in line, and it's so frustrating. Isn't it frustrating? Long lines are not, but then you hear the cavalry, right? Over the loudspeakers, you hear the manager announce, all checkers to the front, please. All checkers to the front. And you're like, oh, this huge sigh of relief. And you want these checkers to come to the front now, right? Not in 15 minutes. 
Not 10 minutes, not even five minutes. Come on, the crisis is at hand. We've got to get these checkers to the front. Now there's work to do. Exactly what Jesus said in the gospel reading. Now, if we go back to the original job description, if we, if we go back to the way Jesus talked about being a disciple, making disciples, uh, being a laborer in his harvest field in the kingdom, uh, I think we can find a great paradigm for us today. So let's go all the way back, Matthew chapter 9. Let's look at how this work in the harvest field was done. And the first thing that we see in verse 35 is that Jesus went through all the cities and villages everywhere, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, at the very beginning of the church, the very beginning of making disciples, it was a very simple message. The kingdom of God is near. First, God is real. Everybody running around this world like chickens with your head called, God is real and God is present. And God is near to you. He is around you. He is within you. And he loves you. He loves you. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you haven't done, he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to save you. A very simple message. The first generation of laborers in the harvest had a simple message. They also had a simple method. The next verse. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. The method was simple. Go to people who are hurting. Go to people who are sick or lame or blind or deaf. Go to people who are grieving, the loss of loved ones. Now, Jesus so powerful. He even went to people who experienced death personally and raised them back to life. Go to the people who need the help. And the harvest is plentiful. Look around us. There are so many people who are hurting. Simple message, simple method, and a very simple attitude. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know how helpless sheep are? Sheep need to be protected. They have no way to defend themselves. Sheep are not that bright. I'll say that. When God calls us sheep, it's not necessarily a compliment. But they need a shepherd. They're helpless without a shepherd. And, and Jesus had compassion on these poor people wandering around trying to find their way in life. And this... Uh, yeah, Meaning here, this, the deep Greek meaning of this word compassion actually uh, brings to this image of like this pit in your stomach, this pain in your gut. Have you felt that before? Have you had that emotion that's so powerful, so visceral, you actually feel it in your gut? That's how Jesus felt about these poor people who had no shepherd. Compassion, simple attitude. Now, there's a lot of other attitudes that too many Christians have that also start with C. Pastor Jeremy will appreciate this. I worked on this to come up with all the C's. All right? A very popular uh, attitude that people have is cynicism. Christians would be very cynical. Oh, 
oh, all these young people, they don't want to come to church. There's nothing we can do about it. Just forget about it. Another attitude that too many Christians have is condemnation. Are you kidding me? They deserve what they get. They made their bed. They can sleep in it. It's their lot. They're getting their just, just desserts. It's not a Christian attitude. Well, here's one that maybe we have, but it's still not helpful in spreading the gospel, and that's constructive criticism. Hey, let me give you 10 ways how to raise your kids better. Right? It's not helpful. Not yet, anyway. The simple attitude of the first disciples was one of compassion. Our heart aches with them. We grieve with them. We're afraid with them. We are lost with them. We, we walk alongside them wherever their journey is. That is the means of how God connects us to other people. That's how the gospel gets spread to other people. Simple message, simple method, simple attitude in, in the very first century, Jesus used simple people. I don't mean that as an insult. Jesus used common, ordinary people. He chose 12 apostles to start his church, right? To start the spreading of the good news, to start the work in the harvest field. Think of a few of, uh, let's run down just a few of the 12 apostles. There was Peter. Remember Peter? He had a case of foot and mouth disease. He always said things at the wrong time. But his job before that was a fisherman. He was a commercial fisherman. That was his trade, his experience, his knowledge. That's all he knew. Jesus chose him and sent him out into the harvest field to spread the gospel. Uh, Andrew, that was Peter's brother. They were both fishermen together. James and John, they were brothers and in their dad's fishing business, okay? Then there's Philip. Philip, uh, he lived in the same fishing village as Peter and Andrew, James and John, so he's probably in the fishing industry. Maybe he was a, in the, worked in the market. Uh, Matthew, does anybody remember who Matthew, what was his job? A tax collector. He worked for the IRS, are you kidding me? You can't trust those people with anything. Jesus called him to work in the harvest field of the kingdom of God. And there's, how about Simon? Let's just use him. Sometimes he's called Simon the Zealot. You heard that? I mean, that literally means he was a political fanatic. Okay? He was watching Fox News 24 hours a day. He was going around door hangers in his neighborhood, vote, get out the vote sign, register people. He was a political fanatic. Here's the point. None of these guys were professionals. They were not religious professionals. Jesus didn't choose a single priest or prophet or rabbi or scribe or uh, lawyer in the church. Common, ordinary people. Isn't that something? I wonder why he did that. Well, let's think about all of this, the whole original kind of job description for these laborers in the harvest field. And if that's the way it was, the way Jesus set it up, what does that mean for us today? I bet anybody can get up here and finish the sermon at this point, right? What does it mean for us today? Number one, we have a very simple message, don't we? 
It's the gospel. Gospel means good news. Well, what is good news? What is the best news the whole world could ever hear? It's that Jesus died for your sins. And he rose from the dead so that you will have eternal life. That's it. We don't do anything to add to that, and we can't do anything to take away from that. God has done it all for each and every one of us, for all humans. Such a simple, simple message. And that's what Martin Luther was trying to, and he did, I guess, uh, get back into the theme of the church. And he said, our works do not generate righteousness. When we do good things, it doesn't get us closer to heaven, like we're climbing a ladder to get closer to heaven, but do a good work, do, do a good deed, serve somebody, be nice to my neighbor. Okay, these are all good things, but we're not earning this favor from God. God has given it to us freely. And so because we've received this incredible gift from God freely, our natural response is to go out and do good things for other people. Does that make sense? Like, if somebody is so nice to you and just lavishes you with love and blessings, like, you just naturally want to share that with other people. You want to pass that on. You want to share that love and mercy with other people. So it's our righteousness in Christ, that free gift we get from Jesus, generates our good works. And that's really what the big difference was in the Reformation. Right? One, one part of the church said, uh, okay, God's done a little bit for you to say, get you saved, get you to heaven, however you want to say it. God's done a little bit to get you started, but then you need to do this, and then you need to give this much, and you need to take care of this, and you need to check this box. And when you read the scriptures, we see God's word is completely different than that. It's all these things happen, but it's not that order. It's, it's God has done everything for us, and then because we're so grateful for what he's done, well, I'm going to be nice to my neighbor. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to serve in this way. I'm going to give to this children's hospital, whatever. Right? It's out of a, a thankful heart. It's not out of trying to earn anything from God. And this is so hard for us. It's so hard for me. It's so hard for you to remember this because out in the world, we have to earn everything we get. That is how the world works. If you want good grades in school, you got to work for it. You want a raise, you want a promotion, you got to work for it. If you want to have a good next-door neighbor, you got to work for it. You do. You be nice to them, they're more likely to be nice to you. It's just how the world works. And so intuitively, we think, okay, this is how it works with my relationship with God. i got to do this, i got to do this, so he'll give me something back. But it's not. That's not how it works. We can't do that. We're not perfect. We do it. We're, with, we're right with God because, because he loves us. Because of Jesus. And so Martin Luther talked about this, how much he had to talk about being justified by faith, being saved uh, just because of faith and faith alone. And he said, every week I preach justification by faith to my people because every week they forget. Right? You come to church, you hear the message, Jesus died for your sins, Jesus died for your sins, Jesus died for your sins, and you think, yeah, I got it, yeah, I know, I know. No, but if you really get it, 
It's really exciting every time you hear it. If you really think about where you are in your life and what you really deserve out of life, wow, thank you, thank you, Lord. Now, what can I do? What can I do to go out and spread that love of Jesus? Well, number one, it's that simple message. God is near. God loves you. God is real. He's present. And we're going to go to people who are hurting, right? Very simple method. Go to the people who need help. And I'm telling you, since the pandemic, I've seen more hurting people, maybe I've noticed it for the first time, uh, how many people are suffering right now. And I think all of that stress from last year, and now it's into this year, you know, I heard somebody say that in 2020, we thought we were running a marathon, right? And we get to the finish line in 2021, and somebody hands us a bathing suit and a bicycle. It's an Ironman, right? This is a triathlon. Good luck. Right? We're just like, oh, are you kidding me? Make it end. Right? It's brought everything, every fear people have had, every concern, all the relationship turmoil. It just brings it to the surface. Uh, there's so many hurting people. And that's who we go to. And we're going to have a simple attitude, right? Not cynicism. Like, there's nothing anybody could do. It's hopeless. No. Not condemnation. Please. Judge you. Judge. That's, you're wrong. You're bad. Horrible way to work in the harvest field. And not even constructive criticism, right? At least not until they know the love of God first. Uh, but it's compassion. Right? We have a very compassionate heart. Our heart aches for the people that we see who don't have true peace who don't have true joy and are chasing their tails, trying to find it in the world. And they're never going to find it in the world. Right? They're only going to find that in Jesus. So we got to tell them. we got to tell them. And God uses simple people. I'm going to prove it to you. Uh, a uh, poll, a, research <clears throat> a researcher found that only one-fourth of one percent of Christians initially came to church, came to faith by the means of a famous TV preacher, or a famous superstar evangelist, Billy Graham, name them, they do wonderful things. But only a tiny, tiny fraction of people that are in the Christian family actually came through those means. And I can prove it very concretely here this morning, but I need you to help. Can I get everybody to participate? Okay. I'll take that as a yes. It's going to be super simple. You're just going to raise your hand one time. I'm going to ask three questions. The first question is, how many of you here in the house today, how many of you were initially brought to faith, brought into the church by a famous preacher, a TV evangelist? You went to a revival or you went to a visiting church. Just raise your hand up high, raise your hand up high, raise your hand up high. Zero. Okay, so between two services today, we've had one person in our entire in-person congregation, uh, a TV preacher brought him in. Okay, famous, big, big shot. Okay, second question. How many of you initially were brought to faith, brought into the church by a mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, cousin, friend, 
coworker, classmate, raise your hand, and everybody look around. Everybody look around. Look at that. Almost every hand raised. Almost everybody. Okay, third question. How many of you were brought into the faith initially, initially by, by your pastor, by a local church regular guy pastor? One way in the back, but your dad is a pastor, so I don't know if that counts. <laughs> good, good. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. <clears throat> what we just proved to myself and to yourselves is that the original method, the way Jesus designed it, simple message, simple attitude, with simple people, still works today. Not a single professional church worker, Right? All common, ordinary Christians. Now, this sometimes makes pastor sad. <clears throat> pastor Jeremy teared up a little bit at the first service. I've heard this. Wait, I thought that was pastor's jobs. What in the world's going on here? I thought that was our job to go out and bring people into church and bring people into faith. Huh. Interesting. It is the common and the ordinary people in the lives that you live, the people that you interact with. That's where the gospel is shared, through that compassion that you have in coming near to them and, and, and seeing their need and seeing, wow, Jesus and their need need to meet, right? Uh, Jesus and their need need to come in contact with each other. I need to tell them this simple message. God's real. God's present. God loves you. I can prove it. By looking at Jesus, looking at the cross, I can prove how much he loves you. It's so simple, right? It's so simple. Now, uh, uh, just hit the uh, last couple verses here again. Jesus said, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray earnestly. Lord, send all the checkers to the front now. <laughs> now! So what Jesus is saying. There is a harvest out here that is due. I mean, somebody else planted the seeds. You don't have to do that in this case. Somebody, the Holy Spirit's watering and growing the plants. The, the, the fruit is ripe and ready, low-hanging fruit. We just need people to get out there and get to work. Now, right? Not in 15 years. Heaven knows what our country will look like if nothing changes 15 years. Not in 10 months. Not in five days. Now, get out there and just share the love of Jesus with a compassionate heart. And I started off talking about the effort and the momentum of the early church and then how we just kind of started coasting along there. Has anybody ever coasted through a class in school? Did you ever do that? Don't raise your hand at this part, <laughs> especially if you've got kids. Don't raise your hand. Have any of you ever coasted at a job before? Maybe just maybe for one period of time. Maybe it's a specific job. Okay. I'm not going to make any confessions either, but I will tell you that before I was a pastor, I worked for the government. And so you can draw your own conclusions there if I coasted or not. But <clears throat> listen, there's only two ways you can coast. One, 
We talked about the very early church. They worked so hard. They built a lot of momentum, a lot of energy, and then they could coast, right? But you're not going to coast very long like that on past energy and momentum. The second way you can be coasting is if you're going downhill. Right? If you're coasting, you're doing one of the two. You're living off of past energy or you're just going downhill. Churches in America today are, by and large, coasting. I'm not picking on anyone in particular. Baptists, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Methodists, Lutherans. And they're coasting because they're all going downhill. They're all declining. For decades now, they've been coasting downhill. We've lost the original job description. We've lost the sense of urgency. The harvest is ripe and is plentiful right now. All of these churches in America used to be thriving and vibrant and growing and doing so much good in communities and influencing our culture. But we've been coasting for too long. And it can't be just the pastors that bring us around. It takes all of us sharing the gospel, living the gospel. Now, if somebody said the end of the world is coming soon, I would not argue with them. Not at all. But I will say this. This is what Martin Luther said about the end of the world. He said, even if I knew tomorrow the world was going to pieces, it's going to end, I'd still plant my apple tree today. If anything at all, it should give us a sense of even more urgency. Right? The time is now. It is urgent. The harvest is ripe. The labors are few. There's a huge labor shortage. There has been for far too long. And it is all of us with a compassionate heart that's going to go out and share that good news with each other. Let me pray with you. We'll uh, get on with the service. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. Uh, we remember this day especially uh, the free gift that he is for us, and we rejoice in the salvation that he won for us. With overflowing uh, hearts filled with joy, help us to share that love and that peace that we get from you uh, with everyone in our lives. Show us, open our eyes to see the hurting people, to see the harvest field that's ripe, and then give us that, uh, that sense of urgency uh, to share your good news with them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.